You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to c3sandiego.com. Well, hey, we are in the uh, God in Hollywood season. I, I love the fact that, you know, we've been finding God in, you know, the little hidden places of movies. And we just watched The Lion King recently. I thought the live action version was awful. It wasn't funny. It's like, where's the stinking monkey? Where's the monkey? The monkey's the hyenas. Don't screw up the hyenas, you know? I was so disappointed, but then Aladdin just came out. Aladdin was boss. Will Smith is a boss. I thank God for avenues where extraordinary people can release their talent, and I I really love the the intention of Hollywood. Um, But, you know, Hollywood wasn't always a place where you had to search through the scraps of a movie to find some Christian theme. In fact, it's sad that Hollywood isn't being used to tell the greatest stories ever told. I believe that's about to change. Okay, and so uh, we're going to talk, and I'm going to share around one of my favorite movies. Okay, now I've got to be honest with you. I've been quoting this movie for about five years, and I'd never seen it. So six days ago, when I knew we were going to preach this message on this movie, I realized, shoot, I better at least watch the movie. So we watched this movie, my wife and I, on Memorial Day. It's called Chariots of Fire. And uh, now, it's from 1981. And I mean, you know, movies have changed a lot. They move faster. The cinematography's different. And so I'm not generally looking to watch movies from, you know, 40 years ago. But I'm going to tell you something. This movie is about one of my heroes. His name's Eric Liddell. Ever heard of Eric Liddell? Eric Liddell was a Scotsman. You know, before Braveheart, there was Eric Liddell. And he, he was born to a missionary family, okay, who were missionaries in China. And there was a lot of pressure on him to be a missionary. But he felt like God had called him to run and be a track athlete. And he um, went on to win the um, gold medal in the 400 meter in the 1924 Paris Olympics. I think he's the first Scotsman to ever win a gold medal. I mean, you don't run in kilts. You don't see guys running in kilts. So it's not like, you know, encouraged, to be honest. And so uh, it was quite remarkable that he did it. And his story is amazing. And this movie is about his story. And so I entitled this message, uh, Silver Screens and gold medals. Before I show a clip, I'd like us to get a little bit into God's word, all right? We are going to have some fun this morning, but I encourage you to fasten your seatbelt and get ready to put your running shoes on because we got some gold medals to win and some movies to produce. Okay, Um, we're going to start in a unique book, the book of Haggai. Where the heck is that? Yeah. It's one of the prophets in the Old Testament. What I love about the book of Haggai is uh, it was in a time where the church and the influence of the church had lost its luster in culture. There was a time where Israel and the, and the, uh, 
the influence of Israel was so magnificent where the temple kings would come to visit Solomon and try to understand his wisdom. And, 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 and everyone knew that the most influential place on the planet was Jerusalem, Israel, and it had lost its luster. And, you know, I think sometimes in, in America, we can look back on the yesteryears and think, wow, the church was great back then. Gosh, it would be nice if we could go back to the old days. And what I love about prophets and what I love about Haggai is he recognizes that the state of Israel has lost its luster. But God's not done. And I think we need some prophets today in America. Not with a days are getting darker, brother, but a God's not done. God's not done. And so I have found some things in this passage and in this message this morning that I believe are going to encourage us and empower us to put our shoes back on. Are you ready? Okay. This is Haggai chapter 2. God says to Haggai, hey, speak to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, the governor of Judah. And also speak to Joshua, the son of Josadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who is left? who saw this house in its former glory. How does it look to you now? Does it not seem like nothing? So in other words, these are people that were alive during the great years, where things were amazing, where Israel was amazing, where everyone was streaming there to see how magnificent it was. They had remembered it. They'd seen with their own eyes. God was good in the land of the living, and yet it had deteriorated and lost its luster and influence. Who do you, who is here that remembers? Who is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem like nothing? But now Zerubbabel declares the Lord, be strong. Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, get to work. For I'm with you declares the Lord. Goes on to say, this is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains upon you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, get this, get this, get this. Um, In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry ground. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine. I feel like the silver screens are God's, and the gold medals, as well as the silver and gold and the money and the influence, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house, in other words, the house in this generation, in this day, in this hour, will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty, and I'll bring peace into this place. Good? Encouraging? Yeah. Let me tell you something. If you're a prophet, God sent you to encourage people. That God's best days are in front of them, not behind them. All right, well, there's three things that I believe that God wants to restore, and we're going to move into all of these. The first is he wants to restore assignments, okay? He also wants to restore influence and prosperity, and he he wants to restore courage and hope. We are going to start with assignments, restoring assignments. And I want to go back to this beginning of the scripture where he says, speak to Zerubbabel. Who was Zerubbabel? He was the governor. 
wait a minute, God speaks to people in government? Wait a minute, I thought he only speaks to like priests and stuff. I thought he only has things to say to ministers and missionaries. He says, speak to Zerubbabel. But he also says, speak to Joshua, who was the high priest. So I want you to hear something real quickly. If we are going to be a part of a move of God that restores God's intent into the earth today, we need to understand that God is speaking to two sets of people simultaneously. He's speaking to marketplace leaders, people that God has called into the marketplace. We're pathfinders. We lead pathfinders. We love pathfinders. We love government, arts and entertainment and sports, media, educators, business and finance. God is speaking to you. It's your hour. It's your time to shine. You don't have to go to the missionary field if you don't want to. You can run track. You can win gold medals. You can write. You can do anything for him. But Billy Graham said, a next great move of God is going to happen in the marketplace. But let me tell you what he didn't say. He didn't say the next. In other words, it's not the only place God is going to move in if he's going to restore culture. There are some of us who burn inside to be God's ministers, to be people that are going to be used by God for ministry work in the city. And it is very important. If, you were, if we are going to be a church that rebuilds the city of San Diego, rebuilds America, gets to see the most extraordinary days, we are going to have to realize that God is reviving the ministry. They, you know, they used to call guys who, who preached reverence. Now, that's kind of an old religious term, but you know what it means? Revered one. Respected one. God's restoring the respect of the office of the minister. But he's also restoring the magnitude of the office of the athlete and the coach and the government official. And so what I want us to hear is that if God's going to do something amazing in society, he needs two groups of people, kings and priests. Not kings or priests. Not kings halfway at it and priests halfway at it. He needs a good marriage of kings and priests that are all both 100% in. I just celebrated 15 years of marriage with my beautiful wife, Melissa. Now, 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 now. The only reason it works is because we're both all in. It's not 50-50. It's not 70-30 where I'm carrying the load and she's barely bringing anything to the table. If you're going to shift culture, you need the ministers to be all in. All in. Sign me up, whatever it takes. I will do anything for you. But they need to be married to the marketplace people who are just as committed, just as consecrated, just as passionate, just as willing to do what God's called them to do. He's restoring assignments. Good? And what I love about Eric Liddell is the persecution he faced from his family. And what I find when you're finding your assignment, there's people that aren't going to like it. They're not going to understand it. The people who don't understand you not being a missionary are missionaries. Because they've given their whole life to this. And they can't imagine God calling anyone to anything other than what they're called to. But you know what's funny about persecution is it comes from everywhere. And if you're going to be used mightily of God, you're going to experience persecution. Persecution doesn't mean it's not going to work. It just means people don't agree with you. They don't like you. They don't necessarily understand you yet. Stay the course. Do what God's called you to do. 
it went on, though, in that movie, Chariots of Fire, it wasn't just the, uh, his family that persecuted him. When the race to run the 100-meter dash happened to fall, this is 1924, on a Sunday, guess what he did? This was a man who had been selected to represent Great Britain and Scotland to run in the Olympics. This wasn't a little backyard race that it mattered. These were people where his nation was counting on him to win an Olympic medal, maybe for the first time. You know what he said? Can't run. My core value is Sunday's holy. Can you imagine the nation's like, what the... How can you, and they're trying to convince him. Now, and I'm saying, listen, I'm, I'm, that's not my core value anymore. I, I'm, I'm, I love football. I have no problem. I think some of the greatest men of God in this nation are quarterbacks that play the National Football League. I'm not saying don't play on a Sunday. But, but what I'm saying is what's your core values? Because if, if people can move them, if they disagree with you, then you can't be really set up to influence. What I love is, uh, and I'm going to get to this clip a little bit later. I hope so. <laughs> what I love is uh, God made a way. And there's a little saying in this out of Samuel that somebody hands him and he's racing his last race. Um, God made a way to honor the man who honored him. And so he didn't win the 100 meter. But let me tell you something. They don't make movies about people who don't win. <laughs> When is, are people going to start making movies about us when we start winning? But when we also hold the line on our core values, because that's heroic. Heroic people win, but they don't compromise. Oh, my gosh. Let's go. If you want somebody to write a movie about you, well, then win big. Win on the biggest stages. Win gold medals, but hold the line. Oh, my goodness, I like this 10 o'clock, Charles. What are you doing in here? What kind of people are you raising up in here? I feel like I'm speaking to, to champions. All right, all right, we got we to gotta keep moving. We might not get to a clip. That's happened before, you know. <laughs> ah, the next thing that God wants to restore is influence and prosperity. I am going to show this first clip, um, and i got to be real honest. It's from 40 years ago, all right? So it's a little granular. It's, it's like, what is that I'm looking at? It's, it's not 4K, all right? And what I don't want you to see is look at the, the, the quality of the, the film because it's not going to light you up. I want you to listen to what is being said by the media influencers of culture. That's what I want you to hear. Because remember, this was an overtly Christian movie. This was not like a hidden somewhere. I think I can tie that to God. I think God's in there somehow. This was an overt Christian movie in the last 40 years. And I want you to hear what the media influence of the day had to say about it. Let's roll it. So did you catch that? The New York Times promoting an overtly Christian movie in today's culture? I uh, don't think so. ABC, Newsweek, LA Times. See, what, what I'm saying is, is, yeah, we can look around and say, 
our media outlets, our filmmakers have lost their glory. They've lost their purpose. They've lost the reason why they write and why they produce. And if we look at through the, the wrong lens, we say, well, that's, things are just getting worse. But what God is saying is I want to restore not just the movie makers and the heroes that movie makers make movies about, but I want to restore everything in culture. I want to restore everyone who influences culture. The media outlets are mine. Oh, if he says the silver and gold is mine, because guess who runs the media outlets? Those that have the silver and gold. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you want to determine the message that people want to hear? Own the companies that broadcast. God's saying the silver and gold is mine. The influence is mine. If you think for a minute that God wants money and wealth and influence in the hands of the perverse, you're demented. Because here's what the Bible says. When the right people, righteous, are in authority, have the influence, the people rejoice, benefit, are better off. And here you have a good God who paid a ridiculous price for us, if you think in his somehow providence that he wants evil people running things, you're crazy. He's good and he loves you. He's dreaming about a day where the righteous will wake up, take their place in culture, write amazing films, finance films. You know, it's funny. Um, there's, there's three things that God looks for in the earth. I, I feel like this 10 o'clock might have a couple of them in here. Might be a few of them, and this 10 o'clock feels alive to me. Is it always like this? Three things God looks for in every generation. R remember, remember, there's never a generation God wants to give up on. He's never like, you know, I, I just don't love these ones. I'd prefer the wicked would rule in this generation. Yeah, it's better, probably better for the people. Somehow I'm glorified. There's just never, ever a generation that God's not interested in influencing for righteousness. Never, never, never. Okay? So he's looking for certain types of people that he can use to influence culture. Now, not someday, not in the next generation, in this generation. Remember, he said in the present glory will be better than the former glory. So he's looking right now. Here's what he's looking for. People who put their hand up and say, here I am. Use me. Use my talents. Use my platform. Use my passion. Use my wallet. Use my voice. Use my business. Use my strengths. Use my life. I can run? You mean I can run for God? You mean I can build a business for God? You mean I can, I don't just have to do holy things? I can do anything for God? Here I am. Use me. That's one. That's one. The second, really important, especially for those who want to play in the money world. You want to play in the influence world. This is huge for you. People who care more about God's reputation than their own. People who go to Israel and it breaks their heart that they see the dome of the rock or whatever the heck that gold thing is. When I was in Israel a couple years ago, I just, it just, it crushed me. It crushed me that 
I was looking at a Muslim monument in God's city. It, it crushed me. But let me tell you something. If you want to be used to influence and create wealth and make change in culture, it has to bug you when God's reputation is defiled. It, it, bugged, it bugged David. That's why God used David to take Goliath down, because it bugged him. He's like, who is this guy? How dare he blaspheme the name of my God in my generation? Not on my watch. He's like, I, you know what? It's not about me, but it's about the reputation of my God. Those are the people that are going to create crazy wealth. Those are the, you know, listen, listen, listen. We're buying 16 campuses. I don't want one of them to be lame or cheap or discounted. We want preeminent properties so we can influence the city and the world for the glory of God. We don't want the discount property. How does that glorify God? Shoot. Let's go. He needs a people that will put their hand up. The third thing he needs, third thing he needs, he needs courageous faith. Remember, he says, when I come, will I find faith on the earth? Faith without courage, there's nothing there. Faith doesn't mean I believe in God. Faith believes that I not only believe in, in him, I believe he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I believe he's looking to show himself strong on behalf of someone whose heart is fully devoted to him. That's faith. That's faith. If you're just believing to go to heaven, yeah, 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 great. Faith takes heaven into the earth. Faith establishes the kingdom of God on this planet. Oh, God is longing, jonesing. For somebody like that. I think there's some of them people in here, Charles. I really do. I'm not just trying to be funny. I sense somebody's burning inside to do something big for God. Put your hand up. Make his reputation bigger than yours. And be courageous. All right, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Okay, okay. He wants to restore influence and prosperity. Uh... Yeah, let's just keep moving. Third thing. We're already on the third point. There's a chance we could show that other clip. There, there's a chance. And it's not even grainy. It's like a good clip. It's like remastered in HD. So come on. We're going to try to get there. I need, I need your help. God wants to restore courage and hope. I want to read out of... Uh, Isaiah 60 it says, arise and shine, for your light has come. It's another prophet speaking into a season of darkness, okay? So remember, prophets don't see through the natural eye. They see what God sees, and then they release what God sees into the world. So when Isaiah is seeing, he's seeing something that's not as God sees it, and he has to speak into it, okay? So he says, arise, and shine. He was speaking to, like, people at the 10. He's like, listen, it's dark out there, but I'm counting on you. Arise and shine. Your light has come. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. It's, it's, listen, listen, listen. For God to do something, he doesn't need to pretend that everything's okay. 
He doesn't need to call something that's dark light. He doesn't need to say that things are not as bad as they think. He's very comfortable and capable of calling it what it is. It's a cancer. It's cancer. But God releases healing. It's bankruptcy. But God releases financial freedom. It's a divorce. But God releases restoration. God isn't asking you to pretend like everything's okay. He's just capable of bringing light into darkness. Okay? Now, now that's great for personal stuff. But it's the same for culture. It's like the education system. Man, they're teaching crazy stuff to my kids. Okay, let's call it what it is. But I'm not done. God's raising up the next disruptor who's going to bring something different into the, into the education space. Hollywood's jacked up. They ain't making no more movies like Chariots of Fire anymore. The media's jacked up. It's broken. It calls good evil and evil good. Okay, is God done? Too much for him? Come on. Here's what he says. Though deep darkness covers the earth. It's a real story. But, oh, God's people need a big butt. You need a big butt so you can sit at the big seat at the big table in culture. Get a big butt. Okay, but... The Lord rises on you. His glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Now, dawn is a big word right there. Dawn determines that hope is coming. In other words, see what happens when we're in dark seasons is we don't know if it's getting darker or lighter. Most of the time when you're in a dark season, you automatically assume things are dark right now. I haven't seen light for a while. This is bad. Might get worse. But dawn determines that no matter how dark it is, if I believe a dawn is coming, I can hang on. I can hang in. Hope's so potent. That was the anchor of our soul. That, that was such a strong message, Charles, you picked up on. I'm going to tell you something. If God is going to restore culture, he's going to restore hope. He's going to restore, you know, Bill Johnson says, he who has the most hope has the most influence. I read this crazy, crazy article. Now, I apologize for those of you that love rats, okay? Maybe you're from India, and you think rats are, like, important, and you're going to one day maybe re regenerate into one if you, okay, or if you liked the movie Ratatouille, okay? I, I apologize for the illustration. I've got a story about rats, and it's not good for the rats, Okay, 99% of us are going to make it through this story. Okay. It's a story about a guy from John Hopkins University. And, uh, oh yeah, his name was Kurt Paul Richter. And guess what he studied? He studied human personalities and performance and psychological tendencies within humans that cause them to uh, come up short in their production or produce. And he did a lot of his testing on rats, okay? And so here's what he did. He was testing these rats in this one um, experiment he was doing, and he would put these rats in this uh, circular bucket with high walls and circulating water. And he would see how long 
they could swim before they drown. That's a little morbid. I apologize. Okay. The, some rats die. Okay. I just want to get it out there. Some rats are going to die. You're going to live. Um, so the, guess how long the rats could swim in this bucket before they drown? Three days, man. Shoot. That's some hope. <laughs> they could swim for 15 minutes. That's pretty long. It's decent. So, but this guy was like really interested in our success and he was messing with the rats. So right before they would drown, he took a sample of them out, rescued them temporarily, and then threw them back in the bucket. So how long can a tired, worn-out rat swim who thinks there might be the potential of somebody rescuing him? And he guesses. Tired, worn. I mean, this is a tired rat. He's already been going for 15 minutes. How long does he have left? 60 hours. <laughs> I love doctors. I love doctors in the house. Uh, guess what his determining factor was with why these rats could swim for 240 times longer? Hope. The thought that somehow somebody was going to save them. Let me tell you something. If we're going to restore and rebuild culture, God needs to restore your hope. He can't have you hopeless and despairing, believing the world's falling apart. He can't have you believing your life is falling apart. He needs to resurrect and restore hope in you and in me. Good? Good. It's good. It's good. Right. Hope and courage. I found there's two things that contribute to us not being as courageous as we need to be or as God needs us to be. One is low hope, despairing, and the other is high fear, high fear. Okay, I heard a story recently of a middle school girl who was trying out for the production at her middle school. Now, that might not be the biggest production. It might be the silver screen. It might be the gold medal. But when you're in middle school, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And she was scared of trying out for this play. And she said to her daddy, Daddy, can I still be brave if I'm afraid? Daddy says, sweetie, it's the only way you can be brave. So courage is not the absence of fear. It's the fact that you've mastered it and it hasn't mastered you. It's the fact that it's not, it might be a voice, it will always be a voice. If you're going to do big things for God, trust me, you will hear a lot of voices saying, you're underqualified, you can't do it, you're not good enough, blah, 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 blah. He'll relentlessly talk. It just can't be the governing voice. Governing voice needs to be God's voice, daddy's voice. Yeah, I know you're afraid, sweetie. Let's go. I read this quote. Then I looked up the person who wrote it, and I was like, I don't, I don't know if I like their life, but I'm going to read the quote, so I won't just share who wrote it. 
Life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's courage. Snap. Okay, I got to finish with this story. Ah, story or the clip? Uh, all right, all right. I'll do, I'll do both real quick. Super quick story. Super quick story. Last night, Josiah got invited to the Padres game. In case you know, they're like giving away tickets right now. End of the season, you know what I mean? They don't even sell one packs. It's like an eight pack, you know what I mean? And it's like, he got invited, and I wasn't going to tell him that's why he got invited. It's because they're giving tickets away. I'm like, oh, they must love you, man. Those tickets are valuable. And, and so he, he uh, it's a new friend at school, and he was getting ready to go. We had a soccer game yesterday, and then we were going to drop him off right there afterwards with the family that's taking him to the game. And he's still you know, in seventh grade, and he doesn't know how to dress that well. And so right away, we're like, yeah, you can't wear that. You know what I mean? So we finally got him changed, and then he couldn't find his wallet. And it's like, oh, my gosh, you know. Uh, and he found his old wallet from when he was, like, five. You know that wallet? Has, like, an airplane on it. His name written in Sharpie, big power snap right there, big giant thing. And I'm like, you cannot bring that wallet. <laughs> that, is, that is like, you're going to get ridiculed. He's like, hey, Dad, what if I pull it out with confidence? <laughs> okay, okay. Let me tell you something about courage. Courage sets trends. And I'm going to tell you something. God wants people who, who's like, listen, this is what I want. This is what I'm bringing to the table. This is who I am. You can like me or not like me, but I'm bringing my airplane snap wallet to the ba baseball game. All right, all right, let's run this clip. Let's run this clip. Give it up for Eric Liddell. Okay, now, now get this, though. I just want to bring it back just to here. Um, his sister in there, Jenny, didn't want him to run because she felt it wasn't godly to run. But God restored his assignment and allowed him to run for God. He said, he said Jenny, yeah, God made me for a purpose. I agree with you. I agree with you. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel God's pleasure. When you're doing and restored into the thing God created you for. That's when you will feel the pleasure of God. Not when you're doing religious, holy things for him that you hate. He's not like, oh gosh, I'm so delighting in their sacrifice for me. He's like, I love it when you do what I created you to do for me. That's when you'll feel pleasure. Oh, that's when you'll feel the pleasure of God. He's also restoring influence. We are going to see, I'm going to tell you right now, the greatest movies that have ever been written are going to be written. They're in, they're, they're in front of us, not behind us. The greatest heroes that have ever lived on this planet are in front of us. The greatest businesses that have ever been built, the greatest government leaders, the greatest churches that have ever been on the planet are in front of us, not behind us. I'm going to close with this. There's, there's three people, types of people in the world. Find yourself in here. I have a feeling I know, being the 10 a.m., what kind of people are in here. 
Three kinds of people in the world. First, problem finders. Number two, problem avoiders. And number three, problem solvers. Guess which one God's looking for? Three kinds of people in the world. Complainers about the state of the world. It's dark out there, brother. It's dark. These are the end times. I'm telling you, these are the end times. Ain't never been no darker than this. Complainers about the state of the world. Then there's the ignorers about where the world is. And then there's the restorers and the rebuilders of ruined cities, broke down civilizations and systems. Guess which ones God's looking for? Remember it says about spiritual people. Spiritual people don't read end times books and talk about the Antichrist is here. Spiritual people restore. That's what it says in Galatians. He who is spiritual, fix something. Don't complain about something and prophesy. These are the end times. Get out of here. God won't use you. Oh, he might use you to discourage a bunch of people. That's not his heart. He's trying to put courage in people. Finally, there's those who believe the darkness is setting in. There's those who are disconnected from the hour we live in, and then there are those who believe the dawn is upon us, who arise and shine for him and his glory. Who are you? Who are you? Locate yourself in this message. Who do you think God wants you to be, created you to be? Does he have a lane for you to run in? Does he have gifts and talents and abilities that you and only you can do? Does he, has he wired you with passions and strengths and he wants you running in the lane he created you to run in? Picture yourself running, maybe not with your head back with some weird goofy f look on your face, but picture yourself enjoying life, doing something you're good at. Picture yourself. God wants you there. Some of us need to picture ourselves with influence, called to lead culture, called to lead cities, sitting in influential places, writing big checks. Some of us need to put our hand up and say, yeah, God, I, I, didn't, I never thought that this is something you wanted, but, but here I am. Use me, use me to influence. I'm tired. I can tell who you are. The people who are called to influence can't handle it when God's name and reputation is below where it belongs. You, you, you literally go crazy when you see stuff that's broken and you see people who are in influential places shaming the name of God. If, that, if you are just, if that bugs you, you're probably called to do something about it. I can tell you this, you're not called to complain about it. You're not called to prophesy these are the end times. You're called to fix it. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to C3SanDiego.com.